12 rounds is a long time to stay on your feet. It feels like a lifetime. But you've trained, you've conditioned, you've put in the work, you've sacrificed, and you've pushed. You've taken some hard hits, and you've thrown a few of your own. You've been against the ropes, and you've fought your way out. But eventually, you get knocked down, and you feel like throwing in the towel, and the 10 count starts. One, two. But with 12 rounds, there's still time for a comeback. series called The Comeback, and we've been walking through Joseph's life, and so just to catch you up in case you haven't been here, uh, Joseph was a guy out of the Old Testament. Um, he was raised in a dysfunctional family. He was raised in an imperfect family, and that is good news to me. That is good news to you, because guess what? You can overcome a dysfunctional family. You can overcome an imperfect family. Your imperfect family, your dysfunctional family, if we're honest, we're all raised in one, right? Uh, there's nobody perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect family. And so we all have some sort of dysfunction in our family. And so the good news for you and the good news for me is, is this, is that your imperfect family cannot keep you from achieving what God has called you to, to achieve. You can, you can overcome it. And so Joseph's life is an example of that. He was, his, he was like his dad's favorite. Dad loved Joseph more than he loved any of the other brothers. Uh, Joseph got all of the easiest of chores, the easiest of assignments, the best compliments. Dad laughed at his jokes harder than any of the other brothers. He gave Joseph the best gifts of the family. And so the brothers knew it, right? And as a result of that, the brothers hated Joseph. I mean, fact is, the scripture says they could not say one kind thing about Joseph. They hated him. And so they, they decided, they decided to, uh, to kill him and and then they had this conversation that went on, and as a result of that, they sold him into slavery. And, um, and so Joseph had to overcome all of that. And so we've been journeying through his life, and so the title of today's message is called this. It's called, it's called Throwing in the Towel. I want to talk to you about it. I want to talk to you about an issue, and this is the way we do here at Fellowship of the Rockies. Uh, we usually pick a book of the Bible or a section of Scripture, and we walk all the way through it. This time, it's a character study of the life of Joseph. And so I want to talk to you about this issue of, of temptation. More specifically, I want to talk to you about this issue of sexual temptation, how it relates to marriage. I want to walk you through these principles today. To, today, the title of this message is called Throwing in the Towel. Because there's a lot of times when this happens in a family, this is when families decide or think about it's time just to throw in the towel. And so I want to talk to you about this issue of just sexual temptation and then how it relates to families. And so I just want you to know from me, this sermon comes out of a deep pastor's heart. I want to help you. I want to, I want to prepare you. I want to help you. I want to minister to you. This comes out of a lot of my experience of over 30 years of ministry, of counseling families in my office that have, have gone through this, have experienced this, and putting families back together and rebuilding trust and everything. And so I want to talk to you about this subject. And so it's Genesis, Genesis uh, chapter 39 is where we're going to be. Yes, on Mother's Day last week we're Genesis chapter 40. So I did. I, I, we are jumping back. The reason we're jumping back, I did not want to deal with this on Mother's Day, okay? So I just... <laughs> I think that's fair, right? Okay? And so I just, I just kind of flipped it. And so I want to, I want, and, and you know what, it, it's my prayer. I'm telling you, it is my prayer that I help you this morning. 
Now, I mean, this is, this is a very pastoral message. This is a very practical message. We're going to lift these principles right out of Scripture. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to help you this morning because I care about our marriages. I care about families in our, in, in our church. And so if you're here this morning and say, you know what? I'm way past all that temptation stuff, right? Uh, this sermon may be for someone else, but this is, this is, this is not for me. Well, I got a word for you. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it's going to come up on the screen. Um, and here's what it says. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. If you come to that place in your life and you believe you're immune from this, you're in danger. If you believe you're above this, you're in danger. And so I want to talk to you this morning because I'm telling you, some of the most successful men of Scripture fell in this area. Uh, Solomon, who was said to be, to be the, the, the wisest of all time, he fell in this area. And there was, there was, the body count was high. The carnage was high in his, in his life. Uh, Samson was the strongest. Samson lost everything as a result of this. David was considered the purest. And David fell in this area. And so I want to help you with this issue of temptation. There was this man one time that said, you know, you know the verse, lead me not into temptation. He would say it this way, you know, lead me not in temptation because I can find it by myself, right? <laughs> There's something about temptation that, you know what, that it finds us. There's something about temptation that we have to deal with. So, so let's walk through this together, and I'm going to help you this morning. So Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar... An officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And so it had been, it'd been 10 years. I mean, this has been a long wilderness experience for Joseph. Joseph had been in slavery for 10 years. It's 10 years since his brothers sold him uh, to the Ishmaelites. Um, Joseph had been treated harsh as a slave. His living conditions were like horrible but all of a sudden, Potiphar noticed something about him. Potiphar was like the ruler, the king, and so Potiphar no noticed something about him. Uh, remember, all through this story, it continually says the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him. So Potiphar noticed something about Joseph, and he began promoting him. And then all of a sudden, it looked like for Joseph, you know what? Things are going my way. Things are turning around. So this morning, I, I have four principles for you. Uh, from, from the preventive side of this. And so, so, so let's just walk through this. The first principle is this. Temptation is normal for every believer. Temptation is normative in the life of the believer. Temptation is normal for every believer. Verse 2, as we walk through this, the Lord, there, you see that phrase, right? The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So, so Potiphar begins to promote Joseph up. He promoted him up to where he's now running like the family business. That means Potiphar's wife, he had to relate to her. He had to build a relationship with her. He's, he's ad administrating the household of Potiphar. And, I mean, he's like, he promotes all the way up to where he's like the CEO, the CFO. He's in charge of, of like, everything. Things are going well for, for, for Joseph. Verse 3, his master saw, again, the Lord was with him. In other words, Joseph lived his life in such a way that people didn't have to guess if he was like a believer, a Christ follower, or a, a Christian. Uh, people didn't have to, they didn't wonder. They knew. It was his lifestyle. It's how he conducted himself, was with him. And the Lord caused all that he did succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him an overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So thing is, things are turning around for Joseph. Seems like there's great blessing. Can I just give you just real quickly uh, just a, a biblical principle? 
Biblical principle is this about temptation. Many times temptation comes after our greatest blessing. I don't know why that is. It's all through scripture. I don't know if that's because we let our guard down. I don't know because we get to that place that we think, you know what, I'm above it all. I mean, I, I've kind of arrived. I'm in this blessing time. God is blessing me. I am bulletproof. I, I don't know why that is. I just know that that's in Scripture. And some of you may have, and let me tell you something, some of you may have come out of a spiritual background, a denomination that has taught you that you can get to the place to be so spiritually mature, you are no longer tempted and you no longer sin. Okay? Um, and, and that's taught. And, I, and I've, I've talked to people like that that says, you know what? I've gotten to the place in my life to where I'm no longer tempted and I no longer sin. So let, let me help you with that in case someone tells you that it, they like solar rose coffee or at lunch or whatever. And, and let me give you just a theological word, you know, in, in, that you could tell them. And here's the theological word, hogwash, okay? That's just, that's baloney. That is hogwash. Uh, that, 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 that can never happen. You and I will deal with temptation until we see Jesus face to face. Virtue does not lie in the fact that you're so holy that you no longer find the world appealing. Virtue lies in the fact that when you're tempted by the world, you resist the desires of the flesh and you're, you're, you're obedient to God. I mean, when you look at, when you look at Jesus' ministry, Satan came to him to tempt him after two of the greatest times of his life, blessings. I mean, at the first part of, of his ministry and at the end of his ministry. And so when you look at this issue, you just realize you just got to understand this. Temptation is normative for the, for the life of the believer. Uh, one young pastor once asked an older pastor, uh, and he, he was in his 80s, and the younger pastor looked at the older pastor and says, how old were you when you could trust yourself? The older pastor looked at the younger pastor and said, young man, I think I'll be dead in the grave three years before I'll trust myself. In other words, he was trying to help him understand. I mean, I'm telling you, that, that scripture, be careful. If you think you stand firm, lest you fall. Listen, you cannot, you cannot control the thoughts that come into your mind. But you can control how long they're there. You can control how long they lodge there. I mean, your, your mind is kind of like a clerk in a hotel. Uh, you cannot control who walks in, but guess what? You can control who gets a room. You cannot control the thoughts that come into your mind, but you can control how long. That's why Paul says you have to take captive the thoughts, captive your thoughts, and get rid of them. Listen, if, you, if you're married and you, and you come across someone of the opposite sex, that, that seems to be more exciting and more attractive than, than your mate at the moment, when that happens, do not conclude that your marriage is over or that you've married the wrong person. Those thoughts are thoughts that you need to take captive. Those thoughts are the thoughts that you do not need to let, allow to lodge there, and you need to get those thoughts out of your mind. Righteousness does not lie in, lie in the absence of temptation. Righteousness lies in the, in the resistance to temptation. Listen, the grass may be greener on the other side, but it still needs to be mowed. It still needs to be. Irma Bombeck said it this way. When the grass is greener on the other side, it's always over a septic tank. <laughs> be careful. So listen, when you're tempted, that doesn't mean you're spiritually immature. 
It, 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 is, it is a part of life. The third principle is this. Sexual temptation is always defeated by running. Sexual temptation is, listen, always defeated by running. Always defeated by getting away from it. In Scripture, when you look at this issue of sexual temptation, there's, this is just consistent. Every time the Bible gives us instructions about this issue of sexual temptation, it tells us, it tells us to run. Paul, when he was mentoring Timothy, when Timothy is coming up and he's a young pastor and Paul's trying to develop him and trying to mature him, and Paul looks into him and says, Timothy, flee from the youthful lust of your, uh, the lust of your, flee from the youthful lust that's it. Flee. Run. In, 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 in Corinthians, Paul said this, flee from fornication. In other words, get away from it. Uh, a safari guide one time was, was interviewed by, by a reporter. And so this reporter says, hey, can I ask you if this legend is true? Uh, there's a story out there that when you travel in the jungle um, and there's dangerous animals and wild animals, that if you carry a torch, it will keep a wild animal from attacking you. Is that true? And so the safari guide looked at him and says, well, it just kind of depends on how, far, how fast you can carry that torch. I mean, how fast you can run with that torch. That's what it depends on. And so it's not enough. Listen, it is not enough just to carry a Bible around. It depends on how fast you carry it. How fast you apply it. Some temptation we're told you, you stand firm. Some temptation we're told you do battle with. Uh, James said, resist, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Paul says, put on the full armor of God. I mean, do battle. Paul said, defend the faith. And stand firm in the faith. But when you come to this issue of sexual temptation, it is always in Scripture fought by running from it, by getting away from it. Listen, here's, here's what I've learned as a pastor. Most Christians overestimate their ability to cope with temptation and underestimate their ability to cope with adversity. You'll, you'll hear Christians talk when someone goes through adversity, when someone's going through a wilderness experience, and they'll say things like, I could never suffer like that. I could never go through something like that. And then all of a sudden, they look at temptation. They go, I can handle it. I can handle it. No, you can't. That's why you and I, and that's why the Scripture says that we need, we need to get away from it. And so I want, to, I want you to see the steps that Joseph went through, and then I'm going to give you some other, just some very practical steps as well. But watch this, verse 6. So he left, talking of Joseph, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. In other words, Joseph was like everybody's favorite. I mean, Joseph was, was well-built. He was athletic. He was good-looking. He had a great personality. He had charisma. I mean, he was that guy that could walk into the room and he could raise the temperature of the room, right? He could raise the energy of the room. When Joseph walked into the room, every, everybody knew Joseph was in the room. He had that personality. Everywhere he went, he just had that charisma. He had that attraction. And as a result of that, he ended up being everybody's favorite. He was, he was his dad's favorite. We talked about that. He was Potiphar's favorite. Unfortunately, he's going to become Potiphar's wife's favorite. He was the warden's favorite. Everywhere he went, Pot, uh, Joseph was that guy that it was like, it's like he had the Midas touch. Everything he touched, it like turned to gold. One of the reasons is because God's hand was on him, verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now listen, we don't know how long Joseph was in the house. 
We don't know how long he was in the house before Potiphar's wife noticed him. But he obviously, because of the working relationship, because of the position that he had, they, they worked together, they built a relationship together, and it was obviously a relationship. Can I, can I just tell you this, just a little pastoral advice? In fact, his statistics will bear this out. Most affairs start out as friends. Friends of a spouse, friends of the family, a neighbor, someone you go to church with, a relationship, and then all of a sudden, a relationship develops. And this is what we see in the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And then all of a sudden, that didn't work, so now she's going to like use like the direct approach, so Joseph no longer has to guess what's happening here. And so verse 8, but he refused. And so he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because... Hello, you're married. You're his wife. Now, now, here's the spiritual wisdom and the depth of Joseph. This next statement, this question. How then? How then can I do such wickedness and sin against, against God? In other words, Potiphar's wife, she shocked him. And, and they had a relationship. It, isn't it true? Sometimes it's harder to say no to someone you know than saying no to a stranger. Because you're friends. you got this connection. Sometimes it's harder to say no to a friend than it is to say no to a stranger. And oh, by the way, just a little bit of history on Joseph. Joseph, at this point in his life, he's 27 years old. He's young. He's single. He's away from the house. He's away from his family. I mean, if if this was in our culture... To where we live in a culture, right, to where it's wheels off sexuality outside in, in the world, right? To where it seems like we're living in the book of Judges. Everybody was doing what seems right in their eyes. And if anybody tries to use scripture, if anybody use, tries to, to apply anything, it can be seen as hate and all of this other stuff. And so if he was in our culture, then all of a sudden Joseph would may, may reason and say, you know what? Um, man, I was raised in a dysfunctional family. I'm messed up. I mean, I, was, I mean, it's dad's fault. I mean, dad was overindulgent to me. Dad never corrected me. Dad, dad never, I mean, I always got everything that I wanted. I got, and then my mother, I mean, my mother died when I was like 11 years old, and my, my brothers hated me, and I've had it tough all of my life. Then I was sold into slavery. Oh, and guess what? I'm living way away from home. Uh, who, would, who would know? And after all, this is between two consenting adults. What could be wrong with this? Some of the common false beliefs that people use before an affair is they start talking through their mind and they start saying things. You know what? I, I deserve this. I deserve to be happy. You know the most dangerous one? Another man, another woman will make me happy. All my problems will go away. With another man, another woman 
or I married the wrong person. I just married the wrong person. And I'm not really good at this whole marriage thing. See, Joseph, Joseph didn't buy any of that. And Joseph said no for like, for like two reasons. One, the first one is this. He said no out of respect for his earthly master. He said no out of respect to Potiphar. That's his wife. I mean, in other words, in other words Joseph thought of someone other than himself. He was loyal to the man that was loyal to him. And can I just tell you, when you're tempted to have an affair, would you think of someone other than yourself? Would you think of your spouse? Would you think of your kids? Would you think of the other person's spouse, the other person's kids, the other person's family? Would you think of the, the families that you're about ready to affect? Just tell you the most selfish thing you can do. Just having an affair. Because you're only thinking of yourself. Now I've spent too many hours. Picking up the lives. Of families and kids. That have been just devastated by this. And so Joseph said no. Out of respect for his, for his earthly master, another person. But Joseph also said no out of respect for, for God. Listen, one way to, to overcome sexual temptation is never to get over the shock of sin. That's why Joseph says, how could I do such a wicked thing? In sin against God. In other words, Joseph understood the root issue. Joseph understood the core issue. Listen, Satan, listen, I'm telling you, Satan will always camouflage sin. And say it's really not wrong. It's really not promiscuity. It's really not an affair. I mean, after all, it's two consenting adults. It's just safe sex. Verse 10. And as, Joseph, and as, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, in other words, it, it is not going away. He would not listen to her. To lie beside her, to be with her. In other words, he... In other words, he wouldn't even have a conversation because he knew the danger of that. He knew that conversation, what it would open. So, so the scripture says, you know what? He, he wouldn't even talk to her. I mean, she's playing mind games with him. Listen, can I just tell you, most people in this issue of an affair don't leave the path suddenly. Very few people wake up one morning and say, you know what? I'm going to devastate my spouse. I'm going to devastate my kids. I'm going to devastate my family. Most people, that is, that is not how it goes down. Most people, it is a slow burn. It is one slow step right after another till all of a sudden they're so far off, off of the path they cannot get back. Listen, I want to give you something. I'm gonna, I, it, it may shock you, but I, I'm going to give this to you because I, I want you to understand this. I just, this just comes out of, from a pastor's heart just to help you understand the steps of an affair, the slow steps so that you can understand if you're headed down that path, that you can take corrective action or you can have discussions in, in your family or with your spouse or you can talk about this so you understand what's going on. This isn't original with me. Uh, my friend Brady Boyd, pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, gave it to me in like 2007. Uh, I think some counselors had, and pastors had come up with this list. But let, let me give you, just let me give you, because this doesn't happen overnight. I'll give you the steps of an affair. The first step 
Is there something that causes you to lean away from your marriage? There's something that causes you to lean away from your spouse. It may be a dry season in marriage. It may be some conflict in marriage. It may be a health issue. It may be a financial issue. It may be something with the economy. It may be working a lot of hours. It may be some unresolved issues to where something causes you to push away. To, in other words, to lean away, to lean away from your spouse. That's the first step. The second step is this. There becomes an awareness of another person. All of a sudden, there's an awareness of another person, and all of a sudden, those thoughts come in. What would it be like? And there's this, like this awareness of another person. And then all of a sudden, there's these innocent meetings that lead to flirting. It may be, it may be a business meeting, and, and you need to have that business meeting. It may be a soccer meeting. It may be at the soccer. You know, it may be with friends. But it's these in, innocent meetings, these innocent gatherings that all of a sudden it's an awareness of another person. Your, your personality, your sense of humor connects. And all of a sudden there's, just, there, there's flirting that happens. And then it moves to this. Meetings become intentional and planned by one of the individuals. This is where Potiphar is. This is where Joseph is. All of a sudden, the meetings are now planned. Someone decides, you know what? I'm going to drop by her office. I'm going to drop by his office. I'm going to, they go to Starbucks at this time. I'm going to show up at Starbucks. Or, or I'm going to make sure I meet with them. I'm going to make sure, oh, and I know I'm going to see this individual today. So guess what? I'm going to dress better today because guess what? I know, I, I know I'm, I I'm going to see them. And then another step is while in, in group meetings, the two people linger in conversation. They always, it's, they always migrate over to one another. It's like nobody else is in the room. It's like nobody else is in the gathering. Then all of a sudden, it shifts very quickly. And conversations lead to feelings. Can I just tell you, you're married. You're on dangerous ground. When you start sharing to someone of the opposite sex negative things about your spouse or your marriage, when it shifts to feelings, you have now opened the door up for someone to step in and say, I would never treat you like that. I cannot believe anybody do that to you, would treat you like that. And then it moves very quickly from this point on. The two people have meetings under the disguise of legitimate purposes. We got to meet together because of work. We got to meet together because of this. We got to meet together because of this. Then two people have isolated meetings for pleasure. Now it's moved totally to pleasure. Embraces become affectionate and playful touching begins. Then there's a passionate embrace. Adultery happens. In this last step, I'm telling you, don't ever, don't ever kid yourself. This last step always happens. The affair becomes public. What starts off innocent enough, if you don't understand the check, if you don't understand the, the steps and put the checks in place, it could end up in a very dangerous place. A lot of times when affairs become public, People are in shock, and they're like, how could this happen all of a sudden? It never happens all of a sudden. It's always some person, persons, slowly straying off a path. Potiphar's wife is telling Joseph, well, you said no. 
I mean, can we, can we still be friends? Can we still be Facebook friends? Can we still follow each other on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever? Can we, can we still be? See, Joseph understood the danger with that. He refused to go to bed with her, and he refused to even be in the same room with her. There's a Texas saying that really helps in a time like this, and I know you love the wisdom coming out of Texas. <laughs> if you don't intend on going in the house, stay off the porch. Fact is, Proverbs 5, I'll read it later if I have to. I'll, I'll cite the source. If you linger, you'll, f I'm telling you, sexual temptation is something that we have to be aggressive with. If you linger, you will, you will fall. If, if it means you have to unfollow someone on Facebook, you unfollow them or unfriend them. If you have to unfollow someone on Twitter, you unfollow them. If you have to shut down all social media, you shut down all social media. If you have to quit going to Starbucks or this or Solar Roast or this one or that one, you go to a different one. If you have to change your routine, you change your routine. If you have to change your circle of friends, you change your circle of friends. You know why? Because your marriage and your family is at stake. In verse 11, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, so now she's desperate, okay? So this is set up. So she's thinking, okay, the reason Joseph is like saying no to me is because the servants are in the house. There's like witnesses, and he's, he's worried someone's going to snitch. Someone's going to tell my husband. So as a result of that, I will send the workers out. I will clear the house out, and then, then we're good to go. Verse, verse 12. So she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand. And fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, so now she accuses him of rape. And she, and so, and, and, and so she says, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard, heard that, I lifted up my voice and I cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. This is what most commentators believe, that this was a setup. She sent the workers out of the house. She was, I mean, she, she had gone to Victoria's Secrets. She was like scantily clad. And she's trying to disrobe him. This is like the second coat he's going to lose. I mean, Joseph, seriously, you cannot keep a coat. <laughs> what is up with you? And yet he, he gets out, even, even if he has to lose a coat, Joseph lost his, Joseph lost everything. Let's look at the third principle. Righteousness does not always produce immediate rewards. This is a little bit frustrating to us. I think this is one reason that we don't flee from some of the temptation that we do. Righteousness does not always produce immediate rewards. So watch this, verse 16. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, 
the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us. You know what she's doing? Potiphar, husband, it's your fault. She is blaming him. It's your fault. You brought Joseph into the house, so she won't assume any of the blame. She won't take any of the responsibility. She's blaming her husband. Came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me, fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. Verse 20 is interesting. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. So, okay, so real quickly, this is a, this is a punishable ex, uh, offense by death. Potiphar had every right to put Joseph to death. He chose not to, to put him in prison. You know why? He didn't believe his wife. She may have had a history. He, he, didn't, bring his, he didn't believe his wife. And Joseph, once again, I mean, it's just in the story, he did the right thing. And now he was thrown in prison for doing the right thing. And the wife still lived in luxury. Must have been pretty frustrating for Joseph, right? An innocent man was like thrown in prison for doing the right thing. Being wrong does not mean you're going to be punished in God's economy the next day. And being right does not mean you're going to be treated right. Resistance to sexual temptation is usually not followed by renewed romance in your marriage or Prince Charming coming along next week. For a period of time, you may be alone. For a period of time, your marriage may seem boring and lifeless. And you may wonder if you did the right thing. You may feel imprisoned in a dead-end relationship and, and it doesn't seem very fulfilling to you. A.W. Tozer said this, the wheels of God's justice grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. I'm telling you, a person can be forgiven. A life can be rebuilt. Family can be rebuilt but it always leaves a deep scar. Fourth and last thing is this, is righteousness will eventually reap rewards. Righteousness will eventually reap rewards. The Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord was with Joseph through trim, uh, before temptation and through temptation and after temptation. And Joseph may have lost his coat, and he may have lost his job, and he may have lost a home, and he may have lost his reputation, um, can I tell you this? But the one thing that Joseph did not lose, he did not lose the presence of God in his life. God was still with him. God, it, it can hardly be accidental. Then in all the books of chapters of Genesis, only Joseph was the one that was described is being filled with, like, the Spirit of, of God. Joseph was different. Verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison.
whatever was done there, he was the one that did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Joseph may have lost some things, but he didn't lose God's hand on his life. And Joseph may not have reaped rewards immediately after doing the right thing. But days later, months later, God blesses this man beyond belief. And I'm here to tell you this morning as an experience of a pastor. An affair will always cost you more than you think. 25% of men who have an affair, it ends in financial ruin for them and for their families. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7 the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, gives these wise words about this issue. Verse 7, it says, So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Stay off the porch. If you do, you'll lose your honor, and you'll lose to merciless people all of who have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. It will always cost you more than you think. Later on in Proverbs chapter 5, Solomon says the blessing is at home. God's word is always preventative. And then after the sin takes place, it's redemptive. And today I've approached this subject from the prevention side. And so my question to you is a simple one. Who are you leaning into right now? Are you leaning into your spouse? Are you leaning away? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?